0: enough about all that philippians chapter 3 don't forget the blue bar three two one i think it's working all right great let me go ahead and read the text and then we'll pray and we'll jump right in philippians chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are a good God and you do good things. And it's amazing uh, what you have done in this work of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, not only providing for our forgiveness, but also blessing us beyond measure in so many ways. Though oftentimes we walk in our lives not aware of or certainly not rejoicing to the extent we should in all that you have done for us as we look at this text we're reminded that you've made us to be citizens of heaven causing us to be born again to that reality and I pray as we look to this text you would encourage our hearts that we would be more heavenly minded as believers and in that way have an impact on those around us being a blessing not just to ourselves but to others that we might serve you well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've had, I've had a lot of hospice patients. These families tend to become friends to our hospice team. I can't share specifics about these situations, but in general terms, I would talk about one fellow that I had the opportunity to get to know this past year. He had had a rough life. Uh, he had had drinking and drug problems and eventually found himself in AA. And by that means, he gained some recovery from that. He also came to know Jesus. His life was changed. And so he had love for his mom and for his daughter. He had a daughter. His family. He ended up actually becoming the president of a chapter of the Christian Motorcycle Association. A lot of friends. And so I enter in, get to know him because of my role as hospice chaplain. I began weekly visits with him, talking about a variety of things. He found out that Laura has cancer. And so it was always a burden to him to pray for her. And I really appreciated his spirit. He would not let me leave when I visited without praying for Laura in her cancer battle. In fact, he wasn't far removed from dying. And he was in much pain. And even on that day, he wasn't going to let me leave without praying for Laura. But again, as the time was drawing near, I remember my conversations with him and what they were about. And you know what they were about? And what should they be about? He was a man who already put his faith in Jesus. He knew where he was going. We were talking about heaven. And you know, at that point in your life, there really aren't a lot of other things that matter. Right? I mean, you don't to care about, much about politics. Right? You're not going to care much about your vehicles, your car, your house, your bank account. You could make a long list of things you frankly don't care about because you're dying, which he was. We talked about the thing that mattered most to him, which is what lies on the other side. But the fact of the matter is, heaven isn't just for hospice patients, heaven is for every one of us. And that kind of focus isn't just to be for hospice patients like this text says we're to have a longing like that for heaven. In fact, I saw this. I just came across this uh, the other day. Well, I guess it was yesterday's blog, but maybe the day before, John MacArthur's. God, God's people ought to live in their perpetual anticipation of the eternal home he has prepared for us. Let me read that again. God's people ought to live Here's the key terms. In the perpetual anticipation, and let me ask myself and ask all of us, is that how you're living? In a perpetual anticipation of the eternal home he has prepared for us. That's a very biblical statement. A very correct statement. And I think it's also a challenging statement because I don't know if that's the spirit of the church in our day. Somebody has said before that a person could be so heavenly-minded that he's no earthly good. You know what? That doesn't happen anymore. It just doesn't. In fact, I, w- I would argue that we are so inclined to be so concerned with things in the here and now. What would it be if every time a person came across a Christian, all they wanted to do is talk about heaven? What would it be if that conversation turned around? You want to tell me about how bad things are in our country? Well, hey, you know what? I get to talk about... The great things about my country. I'm a citizen of heaven. That place is perfect. What would that be like? You want to talk about how bad our earthly leaders are? Let me tell you about how great my king is. My Lord Jesus is. What if God's people lived that way? What if they thought that way? What if they longed for that place? And that was apparent In our hearts, in our lives, honestly, I don't think we think enough about heaven. I don't. I don't think we talk enough about heaven. And I don't think we long enough for heaven. But that's what the text says. Do you see it there? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. New American Standard has eagerly wait for a savior. That's kind of convicting because I don't know if I always think that way. You know, this term, and this is fascinating, this term here translated citizenship is a Greek term from which we get the English words politics, politician, or even policeman. So, what are your politics? You're Republican? You're Democrat? Or are you a citizen of heaven? Who's your ruler? Kate Brown? Joe Biden? Or the Lord Jesus Christ? When people come across you, what's your conversation? I belong to Jesus. I'm a citizen of heaven. You know what? That place is perfect. Right? Kind of challenging. A little convicting. We wonder why sometimes people have doubts about the church in our day. My truth is, you know, so I have a passport. Many of you have a passport. And so that passport identifies you as what? A U.S. citizen, right? Because everybody here is a citizen of the United States, I'm sure of that. How is it you became a citizen of heaven? How would that happen for you? Well, most of us, like myself, I was born to be a U.S. born in this country, maybe a U.S. citizen. The only way a person becomes a citizen of heaven is what? Be born again, right? You're born again to that. You need to be born again to that. But once you are born again, just like a U.S. citizen has a passport, identifies them as a U.S. citizen, so that born-again person has the Spirit of God by which he's been sealed, right, for the day of redemption, which identifies you as what? A citizen of heaven. In fact, the situation actually is a little reversed from what we commonly think of because when you trusted in Jesus, what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 is that you're raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Spiritually speaking, positionally speaking, you're already there. That's true. So you're really not at home here. And the scriptures make that clear time and time again this is not your home this is not where you belong don't plant your roots too deep you're just here Peter uses the language the time of your stay upon earth isn't that great it's like you're take a vacation okay how long is your stay Laura went and visited our daughter Claire the other day her stay was four days So the Bible says, the time of your stay upon earth, it's limited in days. God knows, Psalm 139, how many days that is, but it's limited. Notice in this text, just to catch the context here, um, the context is Paul addressing these, by the way, Paul's writing from prison, right, to this church in Philippi. And uh, he writes about a lot of things. Joy is a central theme. Unity is another theme in the epistle. But another theme is this issue of false teachers. And so in this chapter, he says a lot about these false teachers. For example, in verse 2, he compares them to dogs. Beware of the dogs, he says. Kind of like the sign you saw in the yard. Only in this case, the dogs are false teachers. Verse 19, he called them enemies of the cross. Wow. And that's because they were religiously self-righteous and telling people they needed to observe certain rules and things in order to be um, in good standing before God. He made note of their lustful ways in uh, verse 19. Notice that they're, they're in, it's his, their God is their belly and their end is destruction. Instead of glorying in Christ, chapter 3, verse 3, Their glory was in their shame. And then make note of this in verse 19. They had their minds set on earthly things. So this characterized these false teachers. These false teachers and their religion was characterized by a horizontal focus. They are only concerned about the here and now. It had no vertical to it. Their religion had no vertical to it. There was no concern about God. There was no concern about heaven. And that's really striking. And that word, but, is a big three-letter word. Do you see it there? But, he says, we could yell it out. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not like them. Our focus is not on the here and now. Our perspective is not just horizontal. We're looking to Jesus. We love Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. Our whole life is about Jesus, and because of that, we understand we don't even belong here, and we're waiting for Him. That's something a little bit challenging, huh? Yeah, you know, it's funny in our country. There's so much division, so much political wrangling. So much thinking about these things. People who think that to be a citizen of America is great, you know. And I'm an American citizen. I was a veteran. You know, I no problem being patriotic that way. On the other hand, there's people in our country that hate our country. And then we got all these millions of people who want to come here. Incredible. In fact, my trips to Uganda, I go there and I find people all the time. Can you take me back? I'll hide in your suitcase. Can I go back to America with you? But you know what? In that whole conversation, we don't have our eyes set high enough. Because there's a country far better than even the best country on earth, and that place is called heaven. And you know what? You already possess it. It's already yours. God has already blessed you with it. You've been born again to it. You belong to it. It's yours. You're you got reservations there already. 1 Peter chapter 1. We don't think enough about it. We don't talk enough about it. We don't long enough for it. Without question. In Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks of it being a better country. Of those so-called heroes of faith, it says, Hebrews 11, 16, but as it is, They desire a better country, a better country. You can make a good argument for America being the best country in the history of the world, certainly prosperity-wise, freedom-wise. Yeah, a lot of good. It's not without its faults, but it's done a lot of good. But as good and as attractive as this place is even now to the rest of the world, there is a better country, a far better country, It's the country you need to make sure, if you've not trusted in Jesus, you need to make sure you're going to that place. And that ought to be the message of the church in this day. Not wrangling over this place. It should be a concern to make sure people get to that place. Absolutely, without question. And the big challenge for me in my heart is that my longing is not about the here and now, Am I overly concerned or worried about those things? God help us. But instead, we've got a spirit-born longing for the place to which we're destined. Right? Amen. Amen. I'm glad I heard an amen because it's true. In our heavenly citizenship, citizenship, We belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Don't you love that? That is so good. You know what? All the rest of them can be, it turns out. It doesn't matter who they are. The Roman Empire. How about Sri Lanka? just experienced a coup the other day. you see that? How about Great Britain? Their prime minister just resigned the other day. Changes all around the world. Things that people would have never thought could ever happen. They can happen. For sure they can happen. Those kings and those kingdoms, they're pawns on God's chessboard. We sang the song earlier. I love that song. This is my father's world. Though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is what? The ruler yet, right? He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Did you know that? Nothing happens on this planet outside of his purpose, his determined purpose. Why are we wringing our hands as believers about these things? Did you know in Revelation chapter 1 it says Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth? Did you know that? So wait a minute here. Maybe he lost track of them. Does he not know what he's doing? Of course he knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Everything's going to happen exactly the way he wants it to happen. So why are we wringing our hands? Especially when we got this incredible destiny before us. Right? Our citizenship is in heaven. In our heavenly citizenship, we belong to the church which Jesus is building, of which he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew sixteen eighteen For 2,000 years. Right? Jesus has been building his church. And the gates of Hades have assaulted the church on countless occasions in all kinds of ways. And even today, the evil that exists in our day. You know, the Bible says um, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Did you know that? We ought not to be surprised by evil. Oh, we don't like it. Don't be surprised by it. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's what it says. And of course, in that same epistle, it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So that's good news. But my point is this. What Jesus said stands. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. No matter what happens, the church will remain standing. Right? Into all eternity. You needn't doubt that. Other entities, kingdoms will fall. Kings will be put out of office. They will resign. They'll be forced out, whatever. They'll all come and go. Not so the church. The church is forever. In the heavenly citizenship you have, you possess a perfect and lasting inheritance. It says in First Peter 1... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How is it you've been so incredibly blessed? You've been, as I said, born again to it, through the working of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. What does this inheritance entail? Well, it says it's imperishable and unfading, unlike everything you find on this planet, right? What we have in heaven is imperishable, means it'll never die, never rot, never be destroyed, unfading. It's also undefiled, meaning it is a holy existence. There's no sin part of it. There's no evil, there's no sin, there's none of that. How can you be sure that you have it? Notice in this text, not only is this inheritance reserved, and have, you have literally have reservations by God, you also are being guarded or kept by God through faith for what he has promised. So you have this incredible, incredible heavenly destiny before you. And it's like the hymn says, um, this world is not your home. You're just passing through. You're an alien here, a stranger here, Peter says. So let me ask you this question before we go further. How much time do you spend studying and thinking and talking about your earthly citizenship? Your earthly citizenship. How much time watching the news about all the things that are going on? How much time discussing that with your family members or friends, all the negative things that are happening in the political realm? How much time concerning yourself with what's going to happen in the future? Let me ask you another question. How much time do you spend studying and thinking and talking about your heavenly citizenship? Studying about that thinking about that, talking about that. If you're like me, then you know that there's a need for change. Right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul wrote of the rapture of the church, something that could happen any time. The answer to every prayer request, by the way, is the rapture. And at the end of that instruction, after Paul clarifies what's going to happen when Jesus returns, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So what's he saying? He is writing to a, a church, and he is telling them, this is what you should expect. This is what's going to happen. Jesus is coming again, right? And he's going to take with him those who have already died, and then you're going to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. And this is what's going to happen. It could happen any time. And then he says to that church, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Boy, is are not an admonition there today for the church that we would encourage one another to be heavenly-minded and looking towards Christ's return. Right? Find the same thing in Hebrews chapter 10. In that familiar text where it says that we should not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of son. We often focus on that part, and we fail to remember the other part, where it says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near." That fellowship and encouragement is directed towards a goal, a purpose, right, which has to do with Jesus' return. It's really kind of like this, you know, when you think about it, we are fellow travelers on a journey, all of us. You ever gone to a faraway place with your family or with your friends, some place you were longing to go to, some vacation spot? I've been on those kind of vacations. For our honeymoon, Laura and I went to Kauai. That was a beautiful, beautiful place. Had all those trips to Africa, me. Some other trips around Oregon. You know, what happens on those things? Well, if you're talking about taking your little kids in the back of the car, there's obviously going to be a fair amount of complaining, right? How long is it going to take to get there and whatever. But in the bigger picture... You have some destination. You're thinking about that place. You want to go there. You're conversing about it. You're talking about how great is it going to be. I can't wait to go and see. Right? Oh, I love that restaurant they have there. I can't wait to eat the food. All that sort of thing. Right? And you are talking to each other. and You're encouraging each other. You're excited about going there. That's why you're going. We're all fellow travelers. We're on a journey. we got a destination. It's called heaven. It ought to be that we should be talking about it, thinking about it, right? Singing about it. There are songs in our hymnal about heaven, by the way. It's a good thing. I don't know where it is in my notes. Uh, It doesn't matter. Um, There was... (laughs) So, with our men's Bible study, some of the ones who are there will remember we had a fellow named John... Uh, not John Horde, who also had a wonderful, shared a wonderful perspective on heaven, but another fellow named John, and I can't remember his last name. He actually didn't attend church here. He went to the Nazarene Church, but Harvey was gracious enough to go pick him up because he wanted to come to our men's Bible study, and he was there every week. And in our men's Bible study, we'd always start out by singing a hymn or two. Um, And, you know, I would oftentimes ask um, if anybody had a hymn, that they wanted to sing and you know what John always wanted to sing about heaven he always wanted to sing about heaven there's a hymn about heaven and John was getting up there in years John didn't have much John was actually orphaned as a young kid and uh, he didn't have a lot he had a lot of hardship in his life but you know when he came to men's bible study that's what he was excited about you knew you were going to hear about heaven and his longing for heaven so I don't know if anybody else was at the service, but I was at his funeral service. It was held at Nazarene Church. And for a guy who was born an orphan, didn't seem to have a lot going for him, there are a lot of people there. And you know what I heard? I heard testimony after testimony about how this guy, who didn't have much, loved to talk to people about Jesus and about heaven. It was so good. That could be you. You could be like that. You know when I'm around that person, all they want to talk about is Jesus, and they want to talk about heaven. You could be that person. Even today. You know what? There's people all around out there that are so lost. They're so discouraged. Suicide rates are up. All the medical drugs used for depression, the sales are up. People are looking for some hope. God has invested that in you. That's who you are. You're a believer in Christ. You're a person who has a message of hope. God's given it to you, right? And that hope isn't in the here and now. I'm sorry, it's not. It's never going to be. That's not to say that you're not going to experience good things in your life. But the hope that God has given you, the blessed hope, is a hope which is where? In heaven. That's where it is. Right? It's so different than my friend. And it's stuck in his hospital bed in pain. No different than Laura. What's her hope these days? Well, you've got a terminal illness, you've got metastatic breast cancer, you're never going to regain any of those functions you had before. Where's your hope? Is it not founded in the person of Jesus? Isn't there a hope that lies beyond the grave? It is. We all need that hope. Other people need it too. Oh boy, I'm way behind. Our heavenly focus, notice here what it says From it, from heaven, we await a Savior. The word is actually a combination of three different words. Uh, New American Standard translated eagerly wait for a Savior. I'm not going to take the time to look there, but you'll find the same word used three times in Romans chapter 8, where it talks about the anxious longing of creation waiting eagerly. And then it talks about how we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly. And then again in verse 25 it talks about uh, we hope, But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So it's all talking about the same thing. It's this anticipation. this longing for the return of Christ. And Jesus is coming again. The rapture of the church is imminent. It means it could happen any time. That's the blessed hope of the believer in Christ. We should note that Jesus' plan has never been to bring to us heaven on earth. Never has been but instead to bring those who belong to him to heaven. We shouldn't expect heaven on earth. Don't expect it. Read the, read the end of the book. There will be a new heaven and a new earth one day, but before that, there's going to come a lot of trouble. And you know what? It's not far away. You can read the writing on the wall. So the scriptures continually admonish us to be those who are looking towards his return. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul spoke of those who have loved his appearing. Are you one who has loved, does love his appearing? We are those, Titus 2.13, who are waiting for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? Christ's return. We are those who set our minds On things above, talk about a challenging text. Our minds are set on things above and not on things on the earth. Wow. Boy, that's convicting, is it not? And of course, we have all these senses, and we see all these things, and it's only through eyes of faith we see the things above. We need the Spirit of God's help to do that. Right? But that's convicting. We do that knowing that when Christ appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. And so that's what we're looking towards. Whenever we share in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim what? The Lord's death until he comes. And we are those who would echo the words of the Apostle John who said, even so, come Lord Jesus. And how great is that? You know, Take that fact, that reality out of the equation and learn, this life on earth gets really hard, right? But he's coming again. We look at the troubles of this world, we want for somebody to come and fix those things. How about looking to the one who alone can fix any of us? You think any of these political leaders have what it takes? Maybe we should turn our attention to the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead, the one who's seated even now at the right hand of God from where he intercedes for you, the one who is the shepherd of your soul, the one who is preparing a place for you in heaven The one who is perfect in every way, who is all-wise, who has loved you so much, he is willing to deliver himself up for you. The one who is even now the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one with whom nothing is impossible, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess to be Lord. We should look to him. The one of whom the apostles said we beheld his glory, the one to whom the Spirit is even now working to conform you to, the one of whom we will marvel at when we see him brought into his presence. We need less time spent fussing over the faults of simple human leaders, and more time considering the glory of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When as in the Navy and the Submarine Service, I, I knew something about eagerly waiting. I was eagerly waiting for my discharge. The, the day was inscribed in my thoughts. I knew what the day was. I was counting the days in anticipation. I would, e- I would either have these happy dreams of that day or these nightmares of being forced to stay in somehow. It occupied my thoughts every day. We need that same kind of spirit in our day regarding the return. Of Christ. And notice what's going to happen here. Notice what it says is going to happen in his return. And this is a verse, I use it all the time in work and hospice. I love this passage. This is a, so, you know, there's no age limits on this particular verse, but if you're an older person, you can relate to this verse a little better when it says he'll transform the body of your lowly estate into conformity with the body of his glory, right? There's a lowly state. So we, we older people, we have a better idea. There are certainly hospice patients. So they know something about that too. So the word transform emphasizes a change in the outward form or appearance, whereas the word conform speaks to the interchange. So we actually have all things covered here. In this text, a transformation and a confirmation. The word transform is applied to the body of our lowly state. And we ought to recall, think about this for a second, okay? So, you know Philippians 1.6, which says that he will complete the work he started in you as a believer, right? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See that? So it tells us not just that he's going to do it, praise God, but when it's going to be brought to completion. Well, now we're reading about that day. And what we need to remind ourselves of is salvation's in three tenses. We oftentimes forget this. There's the past tense, which you guys remember. We call that what? Justification. It means to be declared righteous. That's freedom from the penalty of sin. A person puts their faith and trust in Jesus and what he did upon the cross and dying for their sins, rising from the dead. That's the gospel. A person believes in Jesus, gospel message, and what happens? They're saved, they're forgiven their sins. But that's just one part of salvation. There's another part. In the present tense, we call that sanctification. It's progressive because it knows of degrees, it's what's going on right now for you as a believer. God is working to conform you to the image of Christ. glory From one state of glory to the next, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And that's, that's, that part of salvation has to do with freedom from the practice of sin. But then there's a third aspect of salvation. The salvation of the uttermost, Hebrews 7.25. The salvation of the uttermost ultimately is looking towards what we call glorification. Salvation in the future tense. And that's freedom from what? The presence of sin. That's when salvation in what God has done in this credible, miraculous work, we, we see the culmination of it when we're with Jesus, right? And he does this work in us. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, in verse 58, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so the fact is you're going to need to be in heaven a holy makeover that Jesus alone can do. Did you catch what I was saying? Yeah, you can't go there like that. You can't go there like that. This transformation is going to happen. You don't have to doubt whether it's going to happen. Notice what it said. He'll do this by the power he has even to subject all things to himself. So you don't have to doubt or question whether you can do it. I'm just saying this is part of what's going to happen for you. You're going to go through this glorious transformation, this body of your lowly estate. I was with a hospice patient the other day, and we were talking about things related to heaven. She had this magazine that had all these different medical ads in it. You know there's so many different ads today. It is amazing how many different medicines, supplement, medical procedures all the things that our society focuses on keeping us around this place for longer and longer. Right? I mean, there's all kinds of them. There's things for your memory. There's things for your knees. There's things for your back. There's things for every part of your body. You could go buy some supplement that's probably even one for your little toe. But it doesn't matter how many of them you take. You could even go freeze yourself if you want. they got to work for that. I forget what it is. Till later generations perhaps have a cure for something. None of that's going to work, you know. You have a body of a lowly estate. That's the body you have. And if you're not old yet, you'll find out what that means. When your knees don't work the same as they used to, and your back hurts when you get up in the morning, things creak and they clunk and they make funny noises, or your teeth fall out. All kinds of stuff. Well, anyway, we're looking at this magazine she's got. And there's a full-page ad with pictures of some particular supplement. It's some kind of nutrition magazine. And it's got a picture, a full-page illustration of a person's leg and their knee joints. And it's got in the knee joints these tiny little pillows. And they were advertising these, this pill that was like tiny pillows in your knees. And so I was teasing her because I said, I think I need those things. And how do you get those tiny pillows in there anyway? Because that's what it showed in the picture. She's in her 90s. And she had no problem joking about such stuff. Dear lady. But all that to say, you can't take this body with you. Sorry. And you can't keep it either. Did you know that? In fact, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that body you have, don't be insulted by this. This is what God says. It's a tent. That's all it is. It's just a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place. Imagine that. It's not made for the long haul. You need this transformation. You desperately need this transformation that Jesus alone could do. Every one of us needs it, right? And, of course, you've believed in Jesus. You have it. It's all part of his plan. should be incredibly thankful for it. So there will come a day when we'll be brought into conformity with the Lord Jesus. Yeah, it's a matter that's transcendent to us. We can't even fully understand what that's all about. First John chapter 3, it says, Beloved, now we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so that's what lies before us as believers in Christ. That's what lies before us. In fact, before that, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. How incredibly blessed you are. We are in Jesus, right? Now. But there will come a day when Jesus will return And there's going to be an incredible transformation take place for you. Ever see that movie, Beauty and the Beast? Remember that scene in that animated movie where the beast is ugly as he was and the curse is lifted? And there's a complete transformation, right? There's going to be an instantaneous, immediate transformation. And you know what was, another thing about that, which is really fascinating, I don't have time to go on this rabbit trail, but I'm just going to give you a glimpse of it, is... When Adam and Eve sinned back in the garden, remember that? And they found themselves naked. Why were they naked? Were they wearing clothes? They had some kind of God-imparted glorious covering. That's what they had. In fact, it says they were created in the image of God. Part of that word means likeness or looking the same. They weren't gods, but God had given them that. And when they sinned, they lost it. And in fact, that was their chief concern, because what did they want to do? They wanted to cover up their nakedness. They went and found fig leaves, the precursor of every false religion. In their own idea, in their own effort, they covered themselves with fig leaves. And it wasn't, how could you compensate for losing a God-imparted, glorious covering, right? They take this little fig leaf, does that measure up? Of course not. Read later on in that account that God Himself later clothed them with garments of skin, which look forward to the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. All that to say, there will come a day when, for you personally, that which was lost in the fall will be restored entirely on the basis of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, entirely to His glory. But you will be the beneficiary of that, and you'll be in this place called heaven. And you won't care about anything else anymore because all the things that were a problem for you will be gone. There'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, no more mourning, no more death, no more tears, none of those things. There'll be no more sin, no more evil, no more struggles, no more heartache, all that will be gone. And in its place will be your glorious Savior, And you will marvel at Him, it says in Scripture. You'll be overwhelmed by His beauty. Nothing else at that point will matter to you. All these things you've been concerned about here and now, they won't matter at all. You'll be overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus. And we should be excited about that. Right? In fact, we should... Think more about it. We should study more about it. It's kind of like this, because I mentioned before like we're on a journey, fellow companions, on a journey to a glorious destination. So we ought to have a tour guide, if you will, or somebody who's going to get us excited to play. Who is that person? It's the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one who unveils the glory of Jesus to us, John 16. That's what he does. And so to the extent that we're walking by the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, we're gonna have excitement about heaven. And then we have the Word of God. So I remember I was gonna take a trip to Alaska. I did make one trip there, oh me too. But I was gonna go on my own and go do some fishing. I bought this big book uh, about Alaska. It had information about rivers to fish, places to go, places to stay how to get a car, all that kind of stuff. This is a big book with lots of pictures. And you know what? You read through that thing, you get yourself, what, all excited about where you're going. Well, this book is for that. That's its purpose. In fact, somebody has said, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Because guess what? We're all leaving earth. Well, here's your travel brochure. Here it is. And if you want to know what this place called heaven is like, And you want to be excited about it, you're going to have to look here. And you know what? If you ignore this thing and you don't pay any attention to it, you're probably not going to be very excited. That's just the facts of the matter, right? So we have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. And then we have the fellowship of believers. And I already mentioned, I showed you just two verses. We could find others that remind us that we have a role in encouraging one another on this journey. The journey's tough. This narrow road is tough. It's not for wimps, right? Or if you want to use the analogy of the race, which is used numerous times, that's marathon, which is the Christian life, it is challenging. Those other runners, don't let them fool you. They come in on Sunday, they got a smile on their face, likely is they've got some challenge they're facing. They're running on that marathon, maybe they're tripped up. Maybe they've fallen. Maybe they're getting discouraged on a race. This thing is so long, I don't know if I can make it anymore. Well, part of our role as believers is to come alongside people and do what? Encourage them. And encourage them, a part of that is what? In reminding ourselves where it is we are going, right? Where it is we are headed. Where are we going? Where's our citizenship? What's it say? It's in heaven. You're a heavenly citizen. You're that today, right now. In fact, you've got a dual citizenship, but this citizenship is way more valuable than the other one. Way more. Not even comparable, right? Johnny Erickson thought it was paralyzed in a swimming accident decades ago, and since that happened... She's been given a great ministry of encouraging people to keep seeking the things above. She was once quoted as saying, I just want to be with Jesus, get my new glorified body, and have the pain wiped away. She says it's not just the physical frustrations that make her long for heaven, but her battle with temptation and the pain of life. Most of all, she just wants to see Jesus. Once she went to visit Corey Tenboom after Corey had a stroke, Corey had lost all ability to communicate had to use gestures and expressions of her face to convey her thoughts. The topic of heaven brought the greatest response and joy from Corey. Johnny described her longings for heaven included by singing a song to her. Though I spent my mortal lifetime in this chair, I refuse to waste it living in despair. He has given me a gift beyond compare, for heaven is nearer to me. And at times, it's all I can see. And she wrote another song about heaven. This one I remember because I used to listen to it all the time. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just part of it. She, in This song, she said, Heaven, we don't talk quite enough about heaven. The place where I'll live on forever. My home everlasting. A place that's prepared just for me. I can't wait. Tell heaven. Lord, help us to have that same kind of spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, the challenges of our day are so big, and we can be overwhelmed by them. Thank you so much for your gracious patience with us. As we look here and there, trying to find relief from the challenges we face, like broken cisterns that can never satisfy the longings of our soul, we have a desperate need for you. Each and every day, Lord Jesus, we're always needing you, and certainly we need you in this day. We have a tendency to be discouraged, and we look around the world; we see so many discouraged folks too. And we know enough to understand the word, what you've taught us, that you alone, Lord Jesus, have the answers for that which ails us. Thank you so much for your saving work on the cross. Thank you so much for dying. For my sins. Your resurrection from the dead. Your being ascended. The right hand of God. For even now interceding for us. Thank you. You never give up hope on your church. You promised to build your church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail. You're still building it. 2,000 years. And though in our day it seems so incredibly challenged. Especially in this place. Lord we know you love your church. We know you love your people. We know you have a good work. You purpose to do through us even now. You alone know what lies ahead. We know that you are in control. We thank you, you are the ruler of the kings of the earth. Nothing's going to happen on this planet outside of what you have planned ahead of time. We find great comfort in your sovereignty and pray, Lord, as we consider those things, that our concern would be to do your bidding. We know there's people all around. People need you, Lord Jesus. They desperately need you. And you've given us some role to play in that. And not only that, we need each other. We need each other and we need the encouragement to keep looking to you and to keep looking to your return for us, to not be discouraged and be overwhelmed by the challenges of life. Thank you that you are such a wonderful Savior. What a friend we have in you. Your promise you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Your ability to reach down to the deepest recesses of our heart and reach and heal the hurts and scars that nobody else can. Thank you for loving us as you have and granting us grace and mercy and direct us in the affairs of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.